Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sideline Podcast with me, Johnny O'Connell. On this week's episode of the Sideline, I'm joined here by Colette Hogan. On this show, we'll be talking the, the subject around mental health, depression and suicide. Did you actually know that over 800,000 people worldwide die by suicide every every year? That is one person losing their life once every 40 seconds. That is an alarming statistic when you when you look at it and read about it. Clet, I'd like to thank you for joining me on, on the Sideline podcast with me. And I appreciate it that you've given up your time and opportunity to speak with me. I, I want to hear your story and your and your road obviously to recovery with mental with mental health. And thanks for having me, Johnny. Um, so it started for me back in 2016. Um, I had just um, you know, buried my, my grandmother and things, other stresses were going on. I was in college as well at the time and I was working in a part-time job. Um, the relationship I had at the time wasn't great either. So things, I just recognised at the time as things getting on top of me and I was feeling very overwhelmed and... I reached out to um, the college uh, GP because I, I studied in UCC and he said um, because my the boyfriend I had at the time had identified it as being depression. So I said it to the doctor and um, she sent me for, for counselling with counselling services. Um, now I must say they, they are amazing in their um, they, the help that they've given me yes they unraveled there's a lot for me they made a lot of sense um of things that i couldn't make sense of um and it was kind of just maintaining the, the good bit of mental health that i did have so it was very helpful um but towards um at one point i think it was towards christmas um i i went to an anxiety workshop out of curiosity more than anything and I related so much to what they were saying and realized that there was a bit of anxiety inside me as well. Um, but you see, I, I didn't grow up surrounded by mental health issues. You know, I, I didn't know people that had depression before. I didn't know people that were, were anxious. You know, I, I never picked up on it um, because it was, I grew up in the country. So it was, it wasn't that, you know, that much talked about at all. So as time went on, um, you know, things got harder before they got any easier. And um, somewhere along the way, 2017, my, my life started to get better. Um, I kind of found myself again after that relationship ended. And, you know, if I, once I found myself again, I found my peace and I found my happiness. But it was in 2018 that I realised this will always be there, you know, depression and anxiety and the history it will always be there. I can't just erase it. I found that my mental health issues and mental health issues in, in general, they will always surface like one way or another. Um, like even, even just starting to feel a little bit sad over something, I kind of have to, like even today, like I have to kind of stop in my tracks and realize okay is this something that that you know actually requires the time is it reasonable reasonable to feel this way and feel this way for a long time about you know whatever it is i have to put things in perspective a bit you know um so 
I made that realization in 2018 and I realized, okay, I'm always going to have to battle it one way or another. I'm going to have to battle my mental health one way or another. And I can't rely on my life going well to, to, to just be in recovery and to stay in recovery. Um, as the year went on, um, you know, I had a very, very much an up and down year. Um, you know, I, I'd met some really lovely people, made some wonderful friends. And at the same time, I've, I had a lot of, let's say, failings, I would consider failings, but um, failures, I suppose, on my part. But, you know, things happen for a reason. Um, you know, a lot of things would have went, went wrong as well. So it was a kind of a real emotional roller coaster year. But of course, I ended that year with crashing my lovely Citroen um, car. And uh, what resulted in that was I spent, the, spent most of 2019 dealing with anxiety. And the feelings that I had at start of that year were really scary to me and yet really familiar at the same time. So because of the crash, I had developed PTSD and um, which was which was diagnosed through the mental health services and um, which is which is normal for a traumatic event like that. Um, but I just it was really the, the feeling of anxiety and the intensity of that feeling was just very foreign to me. And just like the feelings of depression were very foreign to me in 2016, there's that added fear, fear of the unknown of what you're experiencing. Because you have these feelings and you have these thoughts going around your head and you're reacting a certain way and you don't understand why it's happening. And when that happens, that brings on fear and that brings on, you know, other emotions like I, when I first experienced depression, I actually thought I was losing my mind a bit because I I was forgetful for some things and I, I found myself, you know, reacting in a lot more, you know, as I found myself having a lot, like a lot of mood swings and stuff and they just didn't feel like me. And it's when I started to kind of lose that feeling of feeling like me and you know what, my bubbly self, <laughs> um, my bubbly charismatic self, you know, people people say that I am, like, I just found it very hard to to get myself back and to let go of that fear. Because the first step in dealing with mental health illness is identifying it and then realizing that you need the help. But it's, it's not easy when you have, when you didn't grow up with it and you haven't seen other people experience it or you didn't even have the conversation before. It's really difficult. But the for the duration of, of 2019, I was dealing with anxiety and I was in another relationship and that individual was also a sufferer of anxiety. Um, but he had it way, way, way more intense than I did. Um, but I found that just having those conversations with him and relating so much and you know bouncing off and feeling like this and I'm reacting like this and I'm thinking like this and then he he would he would say yeah that's that's normal when you have anxiety or that's normal because you need this and this is totally 
a normal part of, of anxiety. And once I, once I did realize that it was anxiety that I was feeling, it just, it intensified. And then depression started to come back again. And then it was just a mixture of them both. It really, it was really just, you know, it was one of those things that I just wouldn't wish on anyone. I, you know, the feeling of kind of torment that you get from, you know, you're anxious because you have anxiety and then depression because you don't know why you have it or you don't know what's triggering it or you don't know what your next trigger is going to be. So it's you know, all these these things and they all how they all you know come together to just bring you down. It's just it was horrible. But as the year went went on and that that relationship broke down, so naturally enough there is a bit of heartbreak. But I was put on antidepressants, and I I I needed them. Like I was put on antidepressants before, and I stopped taking them twice before, and um that was a, a big regret was stopping them um i mean if if a doctor told you to take a particular let's say for example a doctor told you to take um blood pressure tablets you wouldn't stop taking them just because you felt like it no you would keep taking them to if you know because the doctor told you to but you know just quitting antidepressants like that it was just it was something that I really shouldn't have done and it's something I really regretted doing so when I went on them for the third time I yes I went on them with the goal of getting off them in that I want I needed to be on them I needed them to aid my recovery but I needed to work myself to be able to go off them and be strong enough to go off them so you know when you're experiencing depression anxiety PTSD and you need that helping hand in the form of a tablet and then it's like you don't want to you don't want to be taking them forever either. It's it's a lot of pressure at once. Um, but as time went on in 2019, um, my, my mental health did get better. And as luck would have it, I went off antidepressants shortly, very shortly before the first lockdown in March 2020. Um, I had moved out of home. Uh, I started living with my my current boyfriend and. Um, you know, life is fantastic. It was like the novelty of moving out and living in the city. It was, it was like, it was, it was like a sense of, of a, it was a fresh start. But when you have, when you actually feel it in your body and you feel it in your soul and you feel it in your mind, you know, it just, it's like nothing else could go wrong. But of course, we went into lockdown, and you know, the first couple of weeks. And for pretty much the duration of April, where it was a case of, it's two weeks. We'll be like this for another week. We'll be like this for another two weeks. We'll be like this for another month. And the way it just kept going on. Yeah, I was looking forward to the end of it. Um, but the end was just never in sight at the same time. So that was that was really hard to deal with. Um, I mean, the, the whole world never experienced anything like it. I mean, it wasn't just me, you know, it's family, friends, neighbours, everyone experienced it, you know, our neighbours across the water, you know, our neighbours around the world, like, every, you know, we all experienced it. Any country that went into lockdown would understand how new this is, how new, you know, lockdown was at the time and how new the virus was and the fear and, and everything that came with it. But 
what I found myself feeling like was, you know, for those for the duration of those few months was just a sense of loss. It was like I lost. I at the time I was saying, okay, I, I, you know, I lost my my ability to even just walk to work because you know, the the building was closed and stuff. And we're not we're supposed to be working from home, and you know, I lost my my freedom to see my family. I lost the freedom to see my friends. Um, I lost my freedom to socialize. You know that that kind of those kind of feelings were going through my head, and it got me in a bad place just thinking about what I didn't have. But, you know, looking back now, I should have said to myself, well, you still have your health, you know, and I, my physical health, I mean, that, it does contribute to, to mental health all the way. Like, but, you know, at the time that's, that's how it was. And there were times where I considered and he's very close to, to going back on antidepressants again, but I didn't. Because when I saw um, the like my psychologist, um, in the, I was interacting with through the mental health services, he told me that my reactions, my mood swings, my my feelings of loss, um, everything that I was feeling was totally normal. Because every, nearly everyone else was feeling like that, feeling stuck at home. You know, that was totally totally normal. Everyone being you know, taken out of their routine. Like I'm very much a, a creature of habit. I love my routine. So that's, you know, that's how I felt. And he said, look, that's completely normal, but it's circumstantial. So it's not, it's not a cause to go back on antidepressants. So I said, okay, but you know, it was, it still, it didn't make it any easier. So as time went on and things started to look a little, a little bit positive and when um, things started opening up again during the summer, I joined the gym. I joined FlyFit on Oliver Plunkett Street in the city. And the whole goal of that was to lose weight because like a lot of people, I had gained weight over the first lockdown. Um, you know, nowhere to go, no one to see. What are we going to do but eat, you know? And I wasn't, I'm sure I wasn't the only person that was like that. Um, I very much enjoyed and looked forward to and bought and ate comfort comfort food all around me and when I you know the, I started losing weight and it was very daunting at the start because I was not most I was not physically active at all like I avoided exercise for the vast majority of my life anyone that went to school with me would know how much I hated doing P and sports and stuff but the first couple of months were really hard trying to get into it trying to see some results but it's hard to see results when it's such a slow process and then as time went on of course I did actually start losing weight and it it made me feel better but it wasn't just like the gym wasn't just about losing weight you know that was my 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 aim and my goal at the start of it but what actually ended up happening was that I became healthier physically healthier so I was able to you know run faster and go up go at a higher speed on the treadmill and those little things like that and those that sense of achievement was just is something that kind of motivated me to push on and push on and to you know I think we all need a sense of achievement somewhere something to focus on and something to achieve to you know just just to make us feel a little bit better and we went into lockdown in November again 
it's kind of kind of story around lockdowns now at this stage like but um we went into lockdown in November and I missed the gym and again those feelings of I lost the gym I couldn't go and those feelings like I had the first lockdown what I lost what I lost but you know I had to change my mindset and say okay well I'm working from home where I'm safe because we're supposed to be safe at home and you know that's that's the most important thing and that we're all safe and, and healthy and you know it's still it's still a battle it's like I mean I do feel very well these days mentally speaking I do feel very well um but you know this this with this lockdown the worst of the worst feeling of this one is that we actually don't know how long this is going to take you know we're talking months at a time the government are talking months at a time you know because they they said of you know the even at start of january like they were probably not going to get out of it in february and then not even into february and it's going to be a case of earliest will be early march and at that we're in february now and february is a short month um but for the actual recovery itself i mean it's it's very much an up and down circumstantial kind of thing as well um I mean, if someone can, if someone can afford to take the time out and focus on themselves and and do that without working, without the stress of working, without the stress of, you know, financial, um, you know, trying to manage your your finances and, uh, you know, you know, that's great. But, you know, in in real life, we're, we have, we're we're talking, mental health is is an everyday thing. It impacts everything impacts our decisions so you know recovery is is going to be an ongoing thing for the rest of my life and it's just at this stage it's about okay if there are things that i can't change then i and i'm not in control of then there's it's just something that i have to grow to accept and if there are things that I can change, then at least if I put in the effort, then I will see change. So I can't control the fact that we are in lockdown again, but I can control what I do about my weight loss, for example. I could say, oh, I lost my, I lost my gym. You know, I couldn't go like and gain the weight back. But no, you know, I can go, I can go for a walk. I can do workout videos at home. So sometimes um recovery is about changing your mindset just a little bit and you know making it about doing the right thing for yourself and taking care of yourself so recovery will will always be ongoing for me like i have my good and my bad days like i have my days where i am elevated my mood is elevated and it's you know i have the greatest positivity going like I did yesterday and it was so foreign to me like I hadn't felt that great in a long time I don't know it was something about it being the first of February being a new month being start of spring in in the calendar sense <laughs> um it, I just felt very positive and you know I would put that down as a good day but like I could easily next week have a very bad day cases could be very high I could break 
I could break something, break an appliance or something, and that could ruin my day. I'm only human, you know, so the small things can get me down, but it's just trying to kind of recovery for me is yes, doing everything I can that would be that would be the right thing for my mental health. But it's also you know taking a step back from situations and from people as well. Um so I suppose the most important thing that I've learned from recovery is um is to do it for yourself and make it about yourself. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I, I get you. I, I admire your bravery, your courage, your determination to speak so willingly and openly about this. And you mentioned there during your some of the key factors and and key noticeable things that happens in depression, such as loss, bereavement, uh, relationships, other personal things. And I think when we look at it, it's how we read the read the signs. And be able to talk, and how we need to encourage people that we shouldn't be uh, afraid to keep it inside because what we tend to notice is it's just it's a battle of between two minds, your inner thoughts and your outer thoughts, and it's normally the inner thoughts that always seem to win by telling you not to hold it because when we feel isolated, we feel alone. It's if you feel like that, it is the world is completely against you. You don't. Feel you like you self-motivation you're not motivated and it is important that we read and see the signs and how we see how we read how we react and how we signpost it then in terms of again that because everybody would not be in a way not be able to speak about mental mental health because it is a a very strong and very sensitive topic about and it's all about who we can who we can trust who was the first person you you were very, who you openly spoke about your mental health. Was it a friend? Was it a counselor in UCC? Um, well, I ne- when, when I started recognising it, well, when I first started to recognise something was wrong, um, I, I found myself thinking, okay, something is wrong here I don't know what it is and I don't know what these feelings are and after that happened I I retreated into myself like I'm very much one of those bubbly charismatic outgoing people you know that would you know that would I would salute people on the road that I don't know like you know I'm one of those kind of people that if I am you know I I would be I'd open my heart out to anyone but even just being around friends at the time or friends or family, I began to be a lot more, um, I managed to be a lot more introverted than I usually was. And I lost my sense of character. And the first person that actually saw that in me was the boyfriend I had at the time. He, I, we uh, had, had a little bit of an argument and I started crying and he said, what, what's wrong? And I said, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And I just felt like I was drowning in a, in a way, like, you know, in a way I felt like I was drowning because 
I was feeling all these emotions and I was feeling overwhelmed and I was feeling overwhelmed by these emotions and I just couldn't make sense of what was happening with my own my own mind and he identified it and after he said that I was in a bit of a shock and I was in denial for a little bit because I thought okay there's there's no depression in my family I didn't have I didn't have a bad childhood at all. My family, you know, my family love me to bits. I love them to bits too. Like they're 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 fantastic. Like, but you know, I I didn't feel like my history, and my background, that my upbringing. I didn't feel like I had a valid reason to have depression. So I was in denial about it for a while. Um, I don't know how long. But I, but I was, and as time went on, it was really kind of the really, really the first person that I actually um, said it to outside of the relationship was was probably the college doctor um, in UCC, and at that stage I was dealing with it for about three or four months, and I was trying to make sense of it, and I was thinking that I would get out of it, you know, I was thinking that it would pass, that these feelings would pass. And um, and they didn't. So she sent me for counselling. Um, so which is you know obviously the, the best. It is one of the best things you could do for someone is to, is to send them to counselling to at least try and and work it out with talk therapy. Um, but as time went on, like it was, I found it very hard to be open to people about it because. Like I said, I, I couldn't understand why I had it in the first place. So it, it didn't make sense that I had it in the first place. I felt like an attention seeker just talking about it, just saying, like, I, I have depression. I felt like that at the time. And I felt so ashamed because I thought people were actually thinking, and some did say, like, but that's because they weren't knowledgeable or educated on it. They, they were, you know, I was the fear of hearing, sure, what do you have to be depressed about? Sure, we do have depression. What, what, what's going on that you have it, you know? You, there's no history of it. How is it that you have it? And it's those kind of things then, naturally, that would make someone retreat from, from talking to a person about it. So... That's why I found it so difficult at the time, and I didn't talk to anyone about it. And you know, once I once I did actually open up to some people, I I did get that reaction. Sure, what do you have to be depressed? You know, so um, I had opened up to a few friends that I was in college with, and and a few friends I was that I had worked with, um, and I was. They stay, they'd stay close with after I finished um, my contracts. And, you know, like friendships usually happen. Like, you know, you drift in and out of contact with people. But there were a few that, that stuck around throughout that year anyway, at least. And um, I, I, I got talking to them a lot more about it, but that, that took me a solid six months before I could do that. Do 
you make some very key valid points there, especially when we open up to people and we get those kind of responses. Uh, it's kind of in a way that they're putting this, the, the self blame on you and that's not and that is not the right way we shouldn't be self-blaming the person who has mental health who has all of these issues because at the end of the day we're all we're all human everyone every person has beats the the same we all have different different traits and key characteristics that makes us the person who, who we have who we are today and if we keep putting the blame to someone else inadvertently that kind of you know would, would make would probably put them down a bit more and that is not is is and it's not the way we shouldn't be self-blaming we should be there uh, as a as a person there to listen you should be that that person there that I'm that person that I can come to you can gain my you can gain my trust you can uh like you can come to me about it like every everything like because you know we need to absolutely and it's a thing that does happen to our is the self-blame because if we keep asking us ourselves why in many ways do we believe as a person does that make us any less human no look we all go things or things happen in life with that 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 that, that make you a bad person no and and i suppose this is probably in a way in a sense in how we react to our surroundings and our limitations and those who we speak to was there any part in in during your during your process of mental health did you ever contemplate or think about suicide did that ever even cross your mind yeah it did um a lot at the very start actually um firstly as i said i'd be feeling like i was losing my mind the fact that i was forgetful the fact that i hadn't recognized what i was going through as being an illness i thought that i was actually losing my mind and i'm, I'm sure you're as you already know, I, I studied English and, and music in UCC. I, I studied um, my degree in those. And I spent um, half of my time in Sunday as well, in the music department building in Sunday as well. And of course, to get from the UCC buildings over to Sunday as well, I'd have to cross a bridge because it's across the river. So um, there were many days that I actually thought of that as my location to go and at the time I felt like I couldn't tell anyone and I didn't really tell anyone I, I didn't even say that to any to the therapist when I was in counselling I, I didn't say that I mean I told her that yeah I was feeling suicidal but I didn't say where I would have done it and what I would have done um, but yeah, it did. And as time went on and I got certain reactions from certain people that made me want to do it more because I felt the shame and I felt the stigma. And that's that's going to add to, to the suicidal ideation. Of course it is. 
I mean, it's it's bad enough to feel these feelings without the support. But then on top of that, to feel the shame. It's it's totally going to make it would make anyone want to go for it, you know. But somewhere along the way, there is always something to stop me from doing it. Where I thought, not today, not today. And the thing is, like, I, I was never fearful about death itself. Like, I was never fearful about it. What I was fearful about throughout my whole history of mental health, what I was fearful of in terms of the act of suicide was that what if it's, an, it's just an attempt? You know, what if the result of it is actually just an attempt and that I end up being paralyzed or you know brain damaged or something and that I would end up being you know a dependent on my family and I didn't want that happening so once I realized that that was very much a possibility it's you know it stopped me from proceeding to do that it stopped me from you know jumping in the river and stopped me from taking a load of tablets you know stopped me from hanging myself I mean I was more fearful of something going wrong in the act itself that more than death. And it's so ironic that that's what I was fearful of. So that stopped me every time. But the feelings stuck around, you know. So, yeah, I wasn't going. I wasn't actually going to do it. Yeah, I was standing at the bridge and I said, not today or this could go wrong or tide isn't high enough you know um but still even though even though you can walk away from from doing it at that moment those feelings don't go away like that and even when you look for help when you when you look for support you look for medication or you, you look for what any other means of getting help you know whatever you need to help you like it's not going to go away in an instant just because you reached out to someone and that's that's something people don't realize either and that's I suppose that is why you know even if someone was you know caught in like I, I don't know anyone that almost did and was caught in the act like but um I suppose that's why they, they would they would be on kept an eye on them I mean you can't just think like, oh, well, they didn't do it. They're fine now. It's, it's not like that. Life isn't like that. You have to look after a person, you know. So, yeah, those those thoughts have, of course, um, gone through my mind. And, um, but I, I didn't do it. I didn't even attempt it. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't. Um, because life does have beautiful moments as well. You know, that's important to, to realise. Um, it's not always going to hurt, you know. It, there's not always going to be pain. There's not always going to be heartbreak. There's not always going to be huge amount of stress, you know. Like there will be, there will be times, there will be days, there will be weeks, months, and years where you feel happy or you feel relief or you, you know, you won't always feel like this. And it's just so important that you actually just put put the effort. In yourself to you know to recover it's just so important and 
start of recovery is often reaching out. Absolutely. You mentioned key moments there and you mentioned key quotes that life does have beautiful moments. And I think in, in a way that people, because uh, I'm pretty sure when some people are listening to back, they probably know probably family members or that or have friends that are going through the, 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 these times and especially during COVID and these on certain unprecedented times. And I think in a way, listen, listening back and we are, and they can see the signs and read the signs, but probably just don't know the next approach and how we approach it and how we say the things and hear, see and react. I think when we hear the yeah. word, and when we hear the word suicide, I think people are a bit skeptical or afraid to mention it to a, probably a person or a friend that they know that are going through to it. But in a way, it, what it does, it is, it is always important to know if somebody does have a plan, because what that can do is that can open to open the door to you and how we see and react in able to guide them to know what 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 help they need whether they need to advice to go to a counselor uh, or do they need to go straight to medical professional help to a hospital but i think at the end of the day we ca we can't always leave it down uh, to the professionals to to do their job we have to do our own bit as equally as well and also just stay important it even if it means ranging up you know going for a coffee with with that in, individual you know once a week meeting up meeting up with them in that in that way that you're keeping on track and everything that they're that they're doing but also you're giving them a sense of belonging a sense of closure that i'm here there and i'm willing to listen to you i'm willing to help you i will do anything for you in that way it makes them in in a yeah. way in a way it's saying it's trying to make yourself that you you that I want you to feel I want you to feel safe and of and I know friend, friends that have gone through mental health problems and and we all find it tough I think probably the key uh, probably aspect of this we need to be careful especially about the things we say or the things we say to people on 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 the road or whether it be in life because at the end of the day you don't truly know what's going on in a person's life or you don't know what is uh around the corner and i know yourself yeah. you, you do a lot of music you've done a lot of blogging did that take away some of some of that stress be able to get out there do something that you love you were able to probably clear able to clear your mind um good question it's like each each time that depression came back um i you know i've very very much different to the next and the anxiety was a different ball game as well i wouldn't i would never have seen you know playing my instruments as being stress relief or anything like that i never would have seen it seen them like that or singing even though it, if it, they're like music is scientifically proven, you know, to reduce such issues. Um, but I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen it as something to help me along. Now I know plenty of people that, you know, they listen to certain songs and they, they pay attention to certain lyrics and, you know, it helps them through it. Um, but for me, not really. Um, what music, did and still does for me is that it brings me back to me um so you know it's been very hard at the moment um with all the lockdowns and the pandemic as a musician very hard um 
you know, to, to try and get a wedding gig. Like, it's very difficult because people are cancelling their weddings because of COVID. And yeah, I could, I could just give up on it. And then if I give up on it, it would be me being, it would be me saying, would be me saying, okay, well, I'm done. I'm done with music. And then what? Look back on it and think that was a failure. That would just add to depression. So like, there's no point in doing that. Um, now, I have been playing at home recently and I did kind of, anytime I, I do experience depression, I do tend to, to play a lot less. But, you know, recently I have been playing a little bit more and I felt like, I felt like me again in, in the sense that it's like going through the same motions as if I, was, I had never experienced it in my life. Because, you know, when I was a teenager, spent a lot of my time in my room, practicing my instruments and loving life and singing life, you know. Just a case of okay, well, it's just sometimes I finish the song and I'm like, oh yeah, that takes me back to how I was before mental health was a thing for me. Um, so yeah, in a sense, it does help bring me back to me, but I wouldn't say it would be a stress reliever or anything like that. Um, but I do know that playing music does make certain people happy. Um. My my boyfriend loves it. He, um, um, my parents, um, which you know they should considering that they 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 paid for all the lessons and the instruments. But um, you know they're they're always happy to know that I'm doing something musical. They're always happy to know that I'm playing or you know doing something musically while COVID is going on, and that I'm not losing hope. You know, and I I think. I do find at times if I if I lose music completely, I do find I lose hope, and hope is is really kind of the make or break with mental health issues. Like if there's no hope, and you're feeling um, when you're when you're going through depression, or if you're suicidal, or if you're anxious, if there's no hope of a better life, and you've got nothing at the end of it. Like so, that's why it's so important that you know we practice self-care and we, we do the things we enjoy to you know, to feed our souls and it's you know this this way I'm saying like that's why I mentioned so much about feeling like me again because I'm a different person when when I'm suffering from anxiety or depression completely different person but when I am on track when I have my days of being on track and being well I have no shame in calling myself a survivor, you know, because I can say, yeah, I'm, I've, I have battled the worst of it. I am battling it every single day, but I'm still me. I haven't changed as a person. I'm still, I'm still vlogging. I'm still playing music. You know, I'm still doing what I enjoy. I haven't just changed as a person just because I've gone through it. You know, you need to still do such things. You still need to do what you enjoy to feel like yourself again, and that's, it's so important. Um, and it you know it makes me sad like to to know that you know some people quit playing 
piano or they quit playing whatever instrument and they quit singing and there's just no need for it like because if that makes them who they are why should they lose who they are it's just like it's just like letting mental health win you know and it's just that's the worst thing you could do is let go of what makes you who you are Absolutely. And you mentioned they are not let go who we are. Each person is different. Every person has their own personality. Everyone is a key commodity to who they are. And we shouldn't be letting others uh, dictate in what we do and how we see and, and stop us from achieving our goals. And there are many quotes that are such positive. If there's one quote that, that, I've, that has stuck to me, what, which was actually a song which actually a song lyric was is actually by the boy band. Now take that. Now I wouldn't say I've been a massive fan of them, but if you most of their songs and the lyrics of of how the songs are written and how you perceive them in life gives you that positive meaning. So one of the key quotes from one of those songs was, "The sun will shine and you will see there's nothing standing in your in your way." And and in and I think that what really stood out to me, and I think that should really stand out to anybody that you shouldn't let anybody standing in, in in your way and nobody should stop you from in a way achieving achieving your goals achieving everything look i suppose at the end of the day we kind of you know we, people would perceive it and it's just because oh my friends are at, are at this level they're, they have graduated from college they're in a they're in a, a well-paid job and look at me like at the end of the day, we, we you can get there. It's it doesn't matter where those people are, are. It's all about you and your journey and the steps that you take that can get you there. And as long as you believe in yourself and as long as you have that motivation, it is it is critical and key. And I think there are many ways that we can, you know, probably not maybe take that that maybe stigma or self-doubt from our, from our minds once you achieve something positive, it can bring that, you know, you know, a bit of uh, ray of hope or light and it kind of, you know, brings you back to the person who you truly, true, you truly are in, in, like, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we when we also speak about mental health and look at the, I think the probably the key aspect is is our government. I think we need to look at that, and I think that they need to do more more about it. And you look at this when we look at the stats and the figures about it. I think more needs to be needs to be done about mental health. The government need to. To look at that, we we were elected by the people. We need to represent the people. We need to give the people a voice. We want the people to have trust, to have trust in us. Let the people of Ireland believe in us that we can do something and and do a plan and stick to it. Look, this is the plan we're doing. This yeah. is how this is how we get there. And they need to do more. The government needs to do more because mental health is not going to go away. Like in some shape or form, everyone is going to experience different types of mental health, whether, as as I mentioned there at the start, you know, diff the different factors and, and traits that, 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 can that can cause mental health problems or depression. And I think that is a 
bit more that the government really need to do a lot more? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just, just thinking about my experience from dealing with professionals. I mean, yeah, you could see, let's just take COVID out of the equation now for a second. You could see a GP and um, they could give you a prescription for an antidepressant, but, you know, they'll only keep, they'll only listen to you for 15 minutes because that's all that they're going to have the time for, you know. Um, we'll say, we'll take back to when I was in college, take back to when I was in college, the mental health services were absolutely shammers as it was. Like, I was told, so I think it was late September, I think I went back to the, to the doctor and I was told I'd be on a waiting list. And then I was told, okay, you have an appointment every Monday but not every Monday, every second Monday. So every time I went into those sessions, it was a case of trying to go back in the two weeks that I had gone through rather than trying to dissect, you know, earlier things that had happened and trying to work through earlier things that had happened and work through earlier feelings that I experienced and that had gotten worse, you know, because it was two weeks since my last appointment, you know, the two weeks since my last, you know, therapist appointment and then I think to the mental health services that I worked with in 2019 and um, first half of 2020 I, I can't I can't fall from like the mental health services are the people that, that are working at them psychologists psychiatrists and psychiatric nurses and everyone else in between like they're doing a fantastic job they're trying their absolute best but they are run off their feet they there's not enough resources they're trying to see as many patients as they can they're trying to do the best the best they can with limited resources it's a very sad state of affairs i mean i asked for a referral in april and i got my first appointment in may okay but like if i was an emergency if it was a case of that i was an emergency that i was suicidal then that would be pushed forward yeah but what if I didn't tell my GP that, you know, it, you can't just assume, oh, well, it's not urgent. You can't assume that it won't be urgent in a couple of weeks' time. Um, so, yeah, seeing psychiatrist, that was every six weeks. And then seeing a psychologist, I was waiting about three months for a psych psychologist before his, um, before his schedule had any space for me you know that was that was a long enough wait and that was partly the reason why I actually put an antidepressants was because I'm still waiting to see a psychologist you know at the time like that's the whole case of okay well we don't know how long more you'll be waiting to see him um so we'll, we'll prescribe you tablets to help you along and yeah I was seeing a psych nurse nearly every week as well and then once I started seeing psychologists I saw her less but the amount of people that they see within within a day and they're trying to keep in touch with and they're they're making their phone calls you know as part of as part of their working day they are absolutely run off their feet and there's just not enough investment there's just not enough investment from the government in the first place to just have more people working 
um, in the services. I mean, there shouldn't be one psychologist or one psychiatric nurse. You know, there should be a lot more at it, like taking the workload, taking as many people as they can. Because like, if government aren't investing in mental health services, then how are they going to have, you know, a, 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 a suitable workforce? You know, I mean, as they say, like a happy employee makes a productive employee. I mean, I know that's very much like a factory kind of a thing, but, you know, otherwise, what, you'll have people on illness benefit for bones of a year because they're waiting to see a mental health professional. Like, it's a bit ridiculous, like, whereas they could put that money towards the mental health service, get the person seen, get the person well, and get them on their feet again. It's just, you're right, like, I mean, the government do need to wake up. They need to wake up big time and they need to really invest in us because investing in mental health services, it's investing in human beings at the end of the day, you know, investing in human beings. Absolutely, and I think the government need to do this, invest in the people, invest in, in the mental health, like this is something that needs to be tackled. But I also believe that it should be key elements it should be part of the the physical recreation of of what we do in secondary schools it should like mental health should be taught should be talked about because i go back to the days when i was in school and physical recreation was was just nothing but a dust and i think that should be utilized in schools as as well as part of the learning curriculum the learning curve uh, of that and I think the also the thing we also need to tackle down as well in terms of mental health is the the negative impact and the side the negative connotations that social media can bring from you know the many factors death threats hate hate speech bullying everything and I think those areas need to be seriously uh, tackled and all about and we look at and if we look at social media and most of the and and they have their guidelines and all of this, but is that going to really uh, help? You know, if or look if people go stopping these guidelines and and all of this will just block the person. Who's going to to stop them from going on to and creating going going back onto Facebook and creating on uh, another account or any form of social media? There there is no way of tracking that that those in those individuals you know i think something yeah. needs to be seriously done in that in that in that, in that aspects in terms of social media but in, but in terms of also mental health uh, depression suicide that it also needs to be tackled within the school curriculum as well absolutely i mean just when you were saying um you know teaching it in schools just a thought just entered my head like why isn't mental health you know, why isn't it being taught as part of science? Because there's different parts of your brain that are affected, you know, and it's the, um, like depression and anxiety. What, what, are the, what are the causes of those? It's basically stress. Like, it's all stress at the end of the day. And stress is the biggest killer because stress ends up giving you, like, God knows how many diseases under the sun, you know, and if they if they just started teaching in science, you know, 
like they have a section on the circulatory system and they have a section on the digestive system and you know they have a section on on the nervous system why isn't there a section on mental health because like we are if if we're walking around and our our, our hearts are beating and you know our our stomachs are digesting things just the same we're thinking we're overthinking yeah <laughs> you know when it comes to when it comes to mental health yeah we, we are overthinking at times but you know we're, we are using you know the, our parts of our body are being used and are being affected by mental health issues as well it just it just boggles my mind why mental health isn't part of science at all like and it should be because there is a whole science to um to mental health itself I mean, just just recently, only in recent years, they realized that there was um, a, a strong link between um, your gut and your mental health. And, you know, like when you experience it, you kind of realize, OK, I get it. Like. But you're in a cycle as well. So if you're eating well, yeah, you're, you're going to be mentally well. You're going to be. You know, mentally better than you would be if you weren't eating well you know but of course when you're in the midst of depression you just want comfort food so you end up eating comfort food and comfort food's not being healthy you know so while they they want to teach us all about nutrition in a, in a scientific way in science and they want to teach us it in a you know culinary way in home economics and they want to teach it in a life skill kind of way in the likes of SPHE yeah fair enough but it needs to kind of go back to mental health being part of the human body being part of the human makeup of a human being you know that's that's what i believe anyway it should be part of science because at the end of the day who who is it that makes that has created antidepressants and scientists and doctors at the end of the day you know who, who made them, who, who studied how they work, who studied how they can, how they work to help other people, who, who studied in the first place that there is like, I remember like um, learning my first go to depression that something actually does snap in your brain. Like, um, I, I can't remember the actual scientific terms for it, but something does break like the brain chemistry like it, it does break and something does break in the brain um to cause you know the feelings and cause everything else that comes with it the low energy and the the lack of motivation and so on or um you know the the, the breathlessness and chest pains and anxiety and stuff it all does it, it all is a science at the end of the day i don't understand why it's not being taught as part of science in the school curriculum it makes no sense yeah absolutely and i think it that is something that does need to to be tackled because it's all about science it's all about the brain it's and it's all about how we act and how we all have different thoughts and what actually goes on like many people with mental health it, like they could have flashbacks to be different aspects from people's lives, their past that they that they strongly hold within their brain and their and their brain and their thoughts is all kind of 
focused on those negative connotations and it's putting kind of you know losing our our doubt our self-esteem our our motivation and and I think especially in these times not only pre-covid post-covid or whatever I think it's something that seriously needs to to be tackled because I think we also need to promote as well you know good and positive mental health and how to stay fit and how to stay healthy and how to keep you know to keep the to keep active as well but I think in a way when we look at us at ourselves and how we react to to different things and I've said this probably through the, the course of this that we're all different people but our our hearts beat beat the same we each have different personalities that makes us unique to who we truly are and I think probably the signs when we that we when we talk about it we're kind of you know uh, skeptical in a way to what others would perceive it and how we go about and doing something about it. And I think that is in a way when we need to tackle it, that that this is something that that's always going to be a part of life. That it's yeah. all, it's always going to be a part of life. And it's something that needs, that it needs to, that it needs to, to be tackled. And especially in a way, and there's many key things that have stuck with people, like, especially when people, you know, use, lose brothers or siblings, parents lose children, like no parent should ever have, have, have to go through that grief of out, 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 outliving their own, their own child or going through the grief of, 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 of mental health and all of this. And I've seen petitions online, I've seen laws being brought in, but like you can bring in all these laws, but the, but then you need to go and do something when the government brings in and sign these letters you need to go in not just because we're, they think that we'll bring in the start this will do something great you need to go and do something about it we need to decrease the numbers and set up a support network and how we tackle this on a bigger picture absolutely Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, and I think when we perceive and everything and how we go on about our, our, like our everyday lives, I think in a way, like the person who we speak to, our friends, our family, like we don't truly know what is actually around uh, the corner. And it is always important to have those chats with, with your friends, friends and family and just and even in these times as well to check up and how and how and how people are doing because especially during COVID like we truly don't know how long it could last will last for we don't know whether after the, the vaccines have been given whether what's what effects could happen what side effects could happen could happen could or well, the possibility of the virus re-originating uh, uh, again and I think and 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 especially lockdown it's doing probably putting people's mental health on a str- on a strain because when you're when we're kind of you know isolated and and being kept to ourselves you kind of in a way that you feel like there's no one you know and to talk to and i think 
in a way that some of these restrictions that are in place, they should be lifted or, or at least something should be done in tackling mental health during these times as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it, is, it is a very hard thing to try and balance as well. Like, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's all well and good to say, okay, yeah, people need to meet up and people need to do this and need to see other people maintain their mental health. But I mean, with COVID, it's just, it's just so high risk. And the fact that you don't know, you don't know who could have it. You don't know if you could bring it back to someone and they could, they could suffer and really suffer from it and end up dying from it. I guess it's just really risky business. But at the same, same time, like, we're so lucky i mean we have social media we have whatsapp we have fiber we have facetime and skype and we have zoom i mean we have so many things at our fingertips um you know we have the humble telephone you know uh, we we can stay in touch as much as we need i i feel like we we, we can if we need to uh, i I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, I've, I've met up with some, some people to go for a walk at a social distance. All right, like very, very socially distant. Um, and we would catch up and we'd have our conversations. And I acknowledge the fact that some people might not have very close neighbours or they might not have, no, they're not my neighbours, but they're within five kilometres. But... And I acknowledge there are some people that don't have, um, you know, that relationship that some people tend to have with their neighbours that they can, you know, talk to them, you know, standing on opposite, opposite sides of the wall, you know. I mean, if you have that, great, utilise it, you know. I was, like, I, I would, I if, if I was still living at home or where I'm from, like, I would probably be talking to my neighbours all the time. I'd have a great appreciation for them and I'd probably know their TV schedule, you know, if I, if I was that hungry for, for human interaction. But, you know, things are the way they are at the moment, that it's Zoom, it's WhatsApp, it's, you know, in every social media platform, you can send a message, you know. So, like, things don't always have to be heard either. But I think the government's approach to the restrictions can be a bit negative. I mean, it's just flat out negative. They say what you can't do. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do the other thing. And they're not saying, okay, please stay at home for the sake of our, you know, frontline workers. Um, Health is there, you know, health is there. We have, you know, whatever services, whatever counselling services, like Samaritans and, you know, like, like all those phone lines you can call and have chat, you know, with, with someone that's trained to do so. Um, like they're not, they're not telling people what supports are out there. And I find that when they're not doing that, it's just, that's, an, that's very like reinforcing they're in lockdown, you know, they're just reinforcing that that we can't go out to meet a friend or it's re- reinforcing that we can't um we can't meet up with our friends for a coffee. Actually, technically you can, 
you know, like at the moment, like it actually says you you can't go like if you if you read the restrictions at the moment, you can't go into somebody else's house, but it, you can meet up with someone to go for a walk to to exercise as long as you are keeping distance. So there are there are ways to do things safely, and it's just about figuring it out. But the thing is, the government aren't saying that. You know, that's that's me reading in between the lines that I can meet up with someone that's within my five kilometer radius and and be at a safe distance and have have a conversation, you know, and have that human interaction. I mean, I, I miss it. I miss I miss not being able to go into work and meet everyone inside and, you know, talk about the weekend. You know, I miss that. But at the same time, I know myself that I know what I have. I know what's available to me. I know what options I have. The government aren't telling people that, and the fact that they're not saying that, and they're they're just making it all doom and gloom. That's all that people are going to see. They're only like if you close if you close certain if you close them shops like non-essential shops. What are people going to think? They're going to think, oh, I can't go to pennies. That's what they're going to think. It's not about oh well, I can I can pick up you know, whatever piece of clothing in, inside in Duns because, you know, Duns are, have kids' clothes and they have to sell the kids' clothes. You know, there's no sense of pos- uh, positivity at all. Sorry, there's no sense of positivity at all. Like, and it's not coming from the government anyway. So, like, when they're, when they're, when they're releasing what the next restrictions are going to be, like, instead of saying, this is closed, this is closed, this is closed, this is closed, so they're saying what's open, say what we can do. And then if we if we if they say what we can do and we do what we can do, then that would give us more of an avenue to be, be grateful for the things, you know, be grateful for, for for certain things. That's what I'm thinking anyway. And I mean I like I said, like I, I live in the city now and you know I, I'm grateful that I have, you know, a lot more people around me and I'm closer to a lot of people you know as in in terms of physically like I'm not I'm not out in six like where the next shop is is in the village and it's you know or the next supermarket is is 20 minutes away from me you know it's a huge difference from living in the country but like if they're going to tell us what we can't do we're only going to think about what we can't do and that's just negativity you know Give us negativity, and just we're, that's all we're going to think of at the end of the day. And that the approach needs to change. At, at the very least, you need to change the approach um, before they can actually change the restrictions themselves. You know, that's just my own humble opinion, anyway. Absolutely, and I fully agree with everything you say that we eat the choice, you know, like, and we all are blessed probably with these and enhanced changements of technology, WhatsApp, Messenger, Zoom, and everything on this. And I think on that note, this brings an end to this episode on the podcast. Colette, once again, I thank you very much sincerely for giving your time and opportunity, but I also admire your bravery, your courage, your determination to, and willingness to speak so open, openly about mental health, uh, about depression, about 
suicide and everything. And also if, and also to anyone who, who may be listening to this podcast, if you are suffering from mental health or know someone who is suffering from mental health issues, you can, you can call the Samaritans on 116123 for free every day, 24 hours. You can also go to turn to me, visit turn to me.ie. You can also go to connect counseling, free phone, 1-800-477-477, Monday to Sunday, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Or visit www.connectcounseling.ie or mymind, con- contact hq at mymind.org or you can visit mymind.org. All the links to these to these websites will, will be also in the link and the description of this podcast. Clef, once again, I sincerely thank you for your time and opportunity to speak with me on this episode of The Sideline. Thank you for having me, Johnny. You're very welcome. And to everyone, stay safe.